0: I'm only here arguing for the optimal conditions for flourishing, whether it be at an enterprise level or individual level, and I don't think anyone can argue that Zoom video creates the optimal conditions for that connection.
1: Welcome to Acton Line, a product of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. I'm Eric Cohn, executive producer. In this episode, we're bringing you a debate from our recent Business Matters 2023 virtual conference. While remote work existed well before the pandemic, the decision of government and business officials to close down so many in-person workplaces in response to the spread of COVID-19 created a new normal where remote work was suddenly necessary for millions of employees. And, even after the pandemic restrictions were lifted, the option remained for many to work remotely, some, if not all, of the time. Now that the pandemic is in the rearview mirror, should businesses continue to allow their employees to work remotely? Almost all employers and employees have wrestled with this question in some way. More and more, job seekers are expecting remote work flexibility. In COVID 19, lockdowns greatly accelerated this trend. But are employees really as productive working from home? And does remote work hurt company culture? Or could hybrid and remote options make businesses more successful? David Bonson, founder of the Bonson Group, argues that remote work should be minimized to the greatest extent possible. Dr. Raj Chowdhury, professor at Harvard Business School studying the impact of remote work on the business world, argues that businesses should embrace the hybrid and remote options. You can find additional resources in the show notes for this episode, as well as find previous episodes of Actonline on our website at actinorg slash actonline. And if you like this program, you can help us reach even more listeners by sharing it with a friend and leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We welcome your comments as well. Acton Line is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Hello and welcome. My name is Eric Cohn. I'm the Director of Marketing and Communications here at the Acton Institute and want to thank you all for joining us for the debate portion of our Business Matters 2023 conference. Our debate question today is, should businesses embrace remote work? Certainly an important topic that reflects uh, the changes in the work environment that have transpired really since the uh, beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. And really, I think an important one to follow on the talk that you just heard on building a culture that attracts talent, part of building a culture that attracts talent, attracting talent, creating a working environment, is going to be addressing questions like remote work. Uh, so very excited to have this conversation with our two guests. On the pro side of this, uh, Dr. Raj Chowdhury is the Loomery Family Associate Professor at the Harvard Business School. On the con side of the question, David L. Bonson is the founder, managing partner, and chief investment officer of the Bonson Group, a national private wealth management firm, with offices in Newport Beach, New York City, Nashville, and Minneapolis managing over 4000000000 billion in-client assets. Uh, to set the stage for this conversation, I want to give you uh, some numbers here that give uh, paints a picture of what the current work environment looks like and how it has changed uh, roughly 2019-2020 through now. Uh, census data between 2019 and 2021 indicated the number of people primarily working from home tripled from 5.7%, or roughly 9 million people, to 17.9%, or about 27.6 million people. A survey by McKinsey gives us a little bit more information and context. 58%, or about 92 million people, can work remotely at least part of the time. Uh, 35% of job holders can work from home full-time, 23% can do so part-time. Uh, respondents were also given the opportunity uh, to work remotely. 87% said they've taken their employers up on that offer if if, if it has been given to them. Uh, some other interesting information and motivations for people seeking a new job. I mean, one of the topics we're dealing with in this year's conference is the great resignation. Uh, in your top three motivations for seeking a new job, number one at 47% greater payer hours. Number two at 27 percent better career opportunities and then coming in at number three, 21 percent flexible working arrangements. Uh, so that gives you some indication of what the job market looks like, what work environments look like now. Uh, so, Raj, I want to uh, uh, go to you first as you've observed these changes that started when people were compelled to start working from home. If uh, that was an option for them, if they weren't in, say, a service industry job during the pandemic, Uh, has really changed the landscape for businesses and workers. Uh, How do you see this as being a a positive evolution in the nature
2: of work in the workplace? Sure. So thanks for having me. Uh, So it turns out I've been studying this this question for many years, much before the pandemic. And I guess my high-level summary is that remote work, or what I've been calling work from anywhere, has several benefits for both workers and companies. And the the most important benefit I think you alluded to, and that is the ability of companies now to hire and retain better quality talent. And not only higher quality talent, it's more diverse talent. And I can go into all of that and, and break that down in more detail. But having said that, I'm going to admit that an effective way of working requires us To be in person, face to face with mentors and colleagues. And that has to happen at a frequency that's best for each team. And there's a lot of innovation going on on when teams meet, where they meet, what frequency they meet. So I'm all for an effective hybrid strategy that gives workers the flexibility to live where they want to live, but also occasionally brings people together for deep uh, mentoring sessions or collaboration sessions. So David,
1: as you look at the changes that have transpired over the last uh, couple of years, uh, we've seen companies urging people to get back into the workplace, and uh, we we have not seen as many people wanting to take companies up on that. What do you see as some of the concerns uh, surrounding the transition that we have had from people largely being in an office with, with each other to, uh, again, the numbers that I stated earlier of people now uh, being afforded the opportunity to work remotely at least part of the time, if not fully, um, and the consequences that have flown from that?
0: Well, I divide it up <clears throat> into a number of categories, and I want to echo what he said. I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here, and um, I do uh, feel very strongly on this issue. I've been quite public about it, and it's a matter of passion for me because I care so much for the workers, particularly younger professional workers who are not at the stage of their career that I may be or that others who have already sort of gone through 20 or 30 years of development, mentorship, and so forth. And I I think that he alluded to the idea that you need some type of getting together every once in a while in person for that mentorship. And yet I think it's a self-defeating argument for his side, because the vast majority of where mentorship takes place is not scheduled around a campfire or twice-a-year company retreat. It is day to day to day in the office with the organic happenings of a particular enterprise, the things that come up ad hoc, that enable younger people to learn from people who are more seasoned and experienced, that enable the type of chemistry and camaraderie and togetherness that can't be just manufactured on special events, but is a byproduct of the day-to-day reality of a business. So um, I don't want to get my whole monologue here right now. I'll just quickly answer your question. I divide it up into the three C's, which are um, culture, collaboration, and community. And by community, I don't mean the internal community of the company, which I consider to be the culture, but the external community. I think we do great damage to our outer workings in the cities we live in. So culture, collaboration, and community all struggle immensely by a work-from-home mentality. And I believe that brand, which for many companies matters, and then mentorship that both he and I have alluded to, uh, they may not have my convenient alliteration of starting with C, but I think brand and mentorship fit within these three C's that I'm extremely focused on.
1: David, how do you uh, consider the rise of technology that allows people to connect Uh, Really, at any time from anywhere, Uh, we've had, of course, text messaging become far more common starting in uh, the uh, 2000s into now, um, really almost overtaking email for a lot of people as the primary means that they communicate electronically or digitally. Um, I mean, I I think there is a bit of an irony that uh, this conversation we're having is being facilitated using Zoom, which is the way that so many people have been able to connect when they were not sharing an office space together Uh, Do you think that it is impossible for those kinds of technologies to facilitate the organic ad hoc uh, kind of stuff that you were talking about? Or is it just um, does it do so, but it doesn't do a good enough job of uh, being in the same space as people? What, What is your what are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I would like to point out that the irony is thankfully not exacerbated by if I were actually recording from my home right now. I am in my real-life studio or my real-life office, and it appears Dr. Raj is at a home office or library of sorts. So we're at least both being consistent in our aesthetic today with our viewpoint. But I would put the word connect in air quotes, Eric, the way you're using it, because I fundamentally disagree that people are connecting on Zoom in the way that I'm referring to connection. That moment by which you're walking down the hallway, and I work in investment management, financial services, for my traders and analysts and advisors and people that are involved in the supply chain of the business we're in, for example, you cannot achieve that connection by Zoom. And I think the vast majority of people through the COVID pandemic learned the shortcomings of Zoom as a substitute for connection. But I freely acknowledge that technology affords us far more capability than we had without it that certainly it was functionally sufficient. So there's no part of my argument that says we cannot make it. We can't get by. I'm only here arguing for the optimal conditions for flourishing, whether it be at an enterprise level or individual level. And I don't think anyone can argue that Zoom video creates the optimal conditions for that connection that involves facial expressions, real-life interaction, um, ad hoc moments, uh, you know, emergency situations, other people that aren't on the Zoom call that walk by and get invited in to a conference room rendezvous and so forth and so on. I think you get the idea.
1: Oh, Raj and David both I want to encourage you as we have this conversation to if something that the other says comes up, feel free to to respond to, to that and not just wait for, for my questions. But Raj, I want to bring it uh back to you and of course give you the space to respond to anything that David has said already. Um but how how I guess, how do you respond to uh, what David has said there about the the kinds of intimate connections? I, I remember reading a piece a while ago and I i, I had been unable to track it down. So maybe I imagined it. So feel free to to dispute it if I'm hallucinating uh, this whole story. But that likens the feeling that you have talking to someone over Zoom uh, to being similar to the uncanny valley effect in science fiction, uh, where something that is made to seem human just kind of seems a little bit off to you. Uh, maybe it has something to do with the way that for most people, if you're looking at the video on the screen, the person in the eyes on the screen, you're not looking them in the eyes for what they perceive because your camera is in a different position. Um, how how do you react to those, uh, the concerns that David has about that kind of organic nature that doesn't seem to be fully replicated by technology, at least not yet?
2: Sure. So I'll, I'll offer like a conceptual argument and then I'll I'll, I'll mention some experimental research that I've conducted, and uh, that helps uh, this argument. Uh, so the, the argument is that, you know, I I see the future embracing flexibility for the simple reason that you want to increase the access to, to talent that companies have. So you don't want to access only the talent that lives in the local neighborhood of the company. You want to essentially make the whole world your neighborhood. And you want to also hire diverse staff, uh, women, uh, minorities, people with disabilities, and all of these are helped by embracing work from anywhere and hybrid and remote work. But having said that, how do we solve this concern, which David is articulating? And I totally agree. How do we make sure that people still feel connected? So there's, there's this conceptual argument that I have, parses those connections into two types we need deep connections with a few people, such as our immediate manager, the immediate team, and then we need a broad set of connections with lots of other people. And think about what the old office did. When we went to the old office and had those all-way conversations that David uh, uh, mentioned, there's research going back to the 1970s. This is Tom Allen at MIT, who showed that those conversations happen within 25 meters of where you're sitting. And so if there's a wall between the two workers, much less likely to happen. If there's a ceiling, even more less likely to happen. And if you're sitting in different buildings, you'll probably never have a hallway conversation. So the implication of that is you are having these conversations with people just like you. So new hires are typically sitting among other new hires. I've never heard a new hire who said, I pressed the elevator button. I went up to the C suite. I knocked the door of a CEO and said, let's have a serendipitous conversation. But the thing is, we can break those silos in the virtual world. So these broader connections that we seek can happen on Zoom. And we ran a field experiment at one of the world's largest investment banks where we randomly put together interns and super senior managers. These are people you would never see during the course of your internship. And what we found is that these senior manager virtual water coolers, as we call them, had both a positive effect on the performance of the interns and also their chances of getting a job offer, especially if the intern was demographically similar to the senior manager. So in summary, what I'm saying is that We want to expand our access to talent. We want the talent to be diverse. That's why remote work is good. That's why work from anywhere is good. To, however, manage the problem of connections, we need two kinds of uh, management practices. We need to occasionally co-locate, have team dinners, have mentoring sessions in person with the people we really, really need to uh, get to know well. And for the other people, we need to get a little bit uh, off. We can run virtual water coolers all through the year. And this is just a couple of examples of what companies are doing. I should tell your listeners that there's a whole host of experiments running all over the economy right now, and the companies that do well on those experiments will be on the leading edge of attracting and retaining talent two years. Three years, five years, down the.
1: David, do you think that the concerns or the the ideas that Raj is raising here, um, if companies were to embrace the philosophy that you're articulating, are they now cutting themselves off from potential really good talent people who could do really well for the company? Um, that just happen to live outside of the area where the company happens to be based. Um, are they going to hamstring themselves by embracing that philosophy, especially when, I mean, in a way, the cat is out of the bag here, right? You know, we, we may not have wanted this reality uh, that changed the workplace. Um, certainly in, in really no way did we want the COVID pandemic, but it happened, changes happened. And businesses, of course, are now looking for how is the best way to respond to that. So if they embrace the philosophy, are they going to limit the kind of talent that they attract or are they going to increase the cost of bringing in that talent? Because if you now know as somebody looking for a job and it's a, it's a pretty good market still for people who are seeking jobs um, that, you know, uh, maybe I don't really want to relocate to that place and I'll find another job with a different company. Um, so I'm just going to wait and, and take that job when it comes around.
0: Yeah, I think that there is a problem with viewing it in the context of the unemployment reality coming right out of COVID, where there was still a certain necessity for some of the either hybrid or or remote work environment versus a discussion that centers only around ideal state. And I expected it would take a couple of years for the whole world to see my side of this, which I fully expect is coming. I believe There'll be very few large companies and very few entrepreneurs that do not agree with me in short order. But I am surprised at how quickly big companies have already reversed that the sort of um, romantic idea of a more diverse access of employees and, and less barriers to entry that we would have in a virtual context that already you've seen some of the companies that were most hard lined and most almost virtue signaling around their intentions of being a hybrid and remote work friendly, your Disney's and Facebook's and Salesforces and Netflix's uh, that have gone to great length to already reverse the uh, commitments and declarations they made as they have seen the basic human nature reality of a greater productivity from employees that are present and a greater accountability That issue about talent is not new. You are talking about company after company in a large sphere that has, from wherever their headquarters are, their central home base, have satellite offices all over the place. Uh, My my company only has 52 employees, so I'm not the managing partner of a gigantic organization. With 52 employees, we have our main office that I'm sitting in right now here in Newport Beach, California, and satellite offices in Bend, Oregon, Minneapolis, Nashville, and New York City, with two more we're going to be announcing shortly. And that, and we had talent we wanted to hire in those remote spots, and they were not going to relocate to Newport Beach. And we opened satellite offices all within the same principle, that there is a, a collaborative ability. But one of the things I'll throw out there, and I still think it's fair for us to go down the path that we've both been on about, about access to talent, and and so forth, but there's other angles that are not coming up yet, which is how the customers of the business are most serviced. And there is no way that every business can produce a monolithic answer. Um, the idea that Zoom could work for a CEO to do a, a call to a bunch of interns may very well be true, but that doesn't speak to the reality of how some companies interact with the end user of their good or service. I think that has to be on the table. But I also would point out that there is a real uh, impact to the local communities. And this is where I think, Eric, me being a conservative, and I don't mean that in a political sense, but I think having a natural inclination or bias towards traditionalism, towards conserving things that have stood the test of time, people started talking out of COVID like we made up this office thing out of nowhere and ignoring the organic development in spontaneous order of best practices that created an office environment. But see, I'm on his side. Some things allow for more flexibility now. Companies that can use a certain function, and there are women working from home because of certain issues with children, for example, and that can now fit in. I think that could before COVID, and I think it can after. And that's not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to the notion of deteriorating an office culture as if it doesn't provide these monumental benefits to the brand and collaborative spirit of the company. And I simply reject out of personal experience dealing not only with thousands of business owners around the country, but being one myself, that the um, substitute works to say we're going to arrange Zoom calls with the CEO and the interns. I think that organic reality of things that come up in problem solving and in young talent, not only getting mentored, which he and I both have a concern for, but in them getting noticed. And I don't think that we give enough attention to the reality that there are young professionals doing good work that cannot be recognized or seen the same way remotely that it can in an office context. So I know I've thrown a lot out there, but there's a lot of angles to this subject, obviously. So can I react to that?
2: uh, Yes, please. What you said earlier? Yes, please. Yeah, so a few few reactions. So I think the first thing I'll say is that uh, there is going to be an office, but the office of the future will be very different from the office of the past. It's already happening. I see all these experiments being run in organizations across the world. Uh, So the Office of the Future doesn't doesn't have to be in the downtown location where people have to commute. Uh, There's a company in Japan which is organizing team calls in railway stations because that's where it is most efficient for workers to come commute and meet each other. Salesforce, for instance, is acquiring ranches all over the country because that's when it's, 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 it's fun for people to come and hang out and cook a meal together and really get to know the team well, because I think the counterintuitive uh, reason to go to the uh, office is to lock yourself up in a in a cubicle or in a in a corner office and work on a spreadsheet that you can do from anywhere. So our purpose of of going to a quote unquote office or an offsite should only be social interactions, and those interactions can happen in multiple places and. I see a lot of experimentation going there. Now on the question of the business cycle and whether this this uh, flexibility requirement that you quoted in the survey earlier will hold on, here's my argument. The argument I have is in any business cycle. It doesn't matter if we are in a growth phase of the economy or a recession, in any business cycle, the best workers, what I call the right tail of the talent distribution they always have outside options. And these are the workers who are going to set the norms. So if I'm a CEO listening to this conversation, and if you think you can drag back your company to where it was in 2019, the big risk you're taking is that not everyone will leave. Not everyone has an outside option. But your best workers, some of them have outside options. And they might leave. And that is why my suggestion to CEOs has been, Get ahead of the problem. Be one of those companies that is setting the conversation, setting the norms for how we can meet in this new, this new world, and how we can still have what I call the best of both worlds, where we can have flexibility with also having connections. Um, and I think the, the and that's going to happen. The, we talked about David mentioned uh, startups. Like, uh, let me tell you what I'm observing with startups. If I'm a Silicon Valley startup. In the past, I had to compete for workers living in Silicon Valley who could work for Facebook and Google. Now I can hire workers in the middle of the country. So I've been doing a lot of work with Tulsa, the city of Tulsa, in Oklahoma. I can hire workers in Tulsa. I can hire workers in Kenya. I can hire workers in Bangladesh. And uh, there's, a, there's a startup uh, called Mob Squad. Which which has this uh, really interesting business model of saying, for every foreign worker who cannot get a visa or a green card renewal in the U.S., Mob Squad helps them to relocate to Canada. They get a work permit within uh, ten days, and they continue to work for the same U.S. employer, but now they're working from Canada. So all these experiments are happening, and the question of the CEO is, do I risk? losing some of my best employees, trying to drag people back five days to a downtown location? Or do I conduct my own experiments of where people should meet, at what frequency should they meet, and how do I get flexibility when also develop connections?
0: I, I think I think that there's a sense in which I want to be careful about neither of us begging the question, because I think when you talk about getting in front of something. We're taking for granted that there is, in fact, a new trend taking place where right now it is very possible to confuse the signal out of the COVID moment for a trend into the future. And I believe there's already heavy evidence that this was significantly overthought and overstated, that the productivity measurement of people that went into that Yeah, you can work at home all day in your pajamas and your spreadsheets are just as good that already significant amounts of employers are concluding that that was a poor idea. And the testing that JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs did, JP Morgan's offices in New York City are right by my offices in New York, and they were allowing a hybrid model where people could pick three days a week. And they realized that basically they were giving everybody a sort of four-day weekend. And they had to start alternating around it. And even now, Midtown Manhattan is absolutely packed Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. For all of the doom and gloom predictions about New York City, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday feels bigger than pre COVID New York. Yet Fridays, it's a ghost town as employees just get a head start on a long weekend. I don't believe that's a good social trend. I think it limits productivity. I think it will give a, a competitive advantage to companies that are still working Fridays. Um, but I also believe that within the way we honor those communities, that you have an infrastructure that is relying the the health clubs, the coffee shops, the restaurants, the, the happy hours, that there is a sense in which there's a whole ecosystem that is built up around it. And I don't believe those things were uh, developed accidentally. I think they were part of a spontaneous order that recognized a lot of people, young children at home are more productive when they can go to an office to work. And that a a lot of people who don't even have families yet, like the separation of getting out of their apartment where they spend a lot of time in evenings and weekends, and they don't want to be at home all day long, working and eating and sleeping in the same place. And maybe some do like it, but the point is that offices provide a diversity of experience and a range for a social interaction, people meeting spouses and so forth in a work environment that they can't do when they're stuck at home all the time. The accountability side, and again, I apologize, Dr. Raja, I don't know your own anthropological commitments, but for myself, one who has a significant view about human nature and certain limiting components of that human nature, I believe that the accountability factor here is really important, and I think people are more accountable in an office environment than they are on their own. And again, obviously, on the right tail distribution, I felt I feel like honestly that argument is very compatible with my own view. If all we were talking about is managing directors at Goldman Sachs that have literally an infinite capacity for productivity and whatnot, that then we're dealing with a kind of different conversation. I still want them in the office for their own brand, culture, and collaboration, but there is a significant amount of people that don't exist in the far right tail. But that's true tautologically, of course. And I believe that there is a benefit in an office environment of an accountability, a competitiveness, a drive that has for millennia had some benefit and obviously not an office context, but different places of shared work. Um, even in a more laborious context. But certainly over the last 50, 60, 70 years, um, we have seen a lot of benefits come out of the office environment. I don't want people to believe I'm being Luddite here. I appreciate his rhetoric about um, the new kind of shiny object ways that people are doing things. And I'm all for technological advancement. Even if I weren't, it wouldn't matter because those things are going to happen. There will be more use of cloud. There will be more use of technological um, tools. And there is a greater flexibility. It's nice to know now that when someone is sick, meaning um, not feeling well, so they probably shouldn't come in, but not so sick they can't work, That that's always been a limitation with office where you're sort of in or out. And now this gives people a way to maybe get a few things done at home, but not come in when they're perhaps pre-infectious or something like that. I'm not suggesting that there's no benefits to our ability to do it. But I think that when we look at the overall optimization uh, for especially many service-oriented businesses, um, that there is a huge advantage to the interaction of humanity that cannot be digitized.
1: There's
2: a lot there that uh, feel free to respond to any of that, but Actually, there's two I things. react to a few, few thoughts. Go ahead. The first, the first thing I'll say is that... Uh, You know, when I think about work from anywhere, it is not just working from home. Uh, And productivity actually has been shown to go up in work from anywhere. So one of the first studies on this topic was my own. And I studied the United States Patent Office, which allowed its patent examiners to work from anywhere in the country back in 2012. Why did they do it? For three reasons. They ran out of office space in Alexandria, Virginia back in 2012 they couldn't hire enough people who would relocate to Virginia. So if you are looking for software patent examiners, those folks live in California and they are not just going to come to Alexandria, Virginia to work for the patent office. Uh, and, so, and they also wanted to raise the diversity of their work. Force. So they allowed uh, patent examiners to work from anywhere in 2012. I studied that in a very, very, very careful and robust way. And we found productivity goes up 4.4%. And the reasons it goes up is not because uh, people are not commuting because that's not true when you're working from anywhere. It was essentially people exerting more effort and also because they had a better cost of living, which made them more productive. So uh, one interview I did with a woman will always stay with me. She said, for the first time, because I've relocated to a cheaper town, and because the patent office offered me the same wage, I can now afford childcare. And that has dramatically made me more productive. And when people work from anywhere, they can work from lots of places. They can work from co-working spaces. David talked about satellite offices. I see a lot of companies doing that now. Uh, There's a very interesting model uh, just in the spirit of sharing the, the kinds of experiments going on in the world, which are so cool to study. There's a company which is setting up an Airbnb model for unused home office space. So if you have a kid who's just gone to college and his or her desk is now vacant, you can put it on that website and your neighbor, maybe a working couple, both of them uh, need to have a desk, but they only have one desk in their house. They can rent it out. Uh, In the patent office, also what happened was people met in all kinds of places to connect to share uh, ideas, to share knowledge, and to mentor each other. And so these virtual communities of practice started happening all over the country. They happened in golf courses in North Carolina, in shopping malls in Florida. So people meet, they just don't have to meet in the same downtown location. The other thing that i will say is that, you know, on the issue of how we think about productivity, there has been a fundamental flaw in our measurement of productivity that this moment in time can help us correct. And that fundamental flaw has been too many people have been measured based on what I call the input to work. How many days you work? How many hours you work, How many meetings you go to? How many times you show your face to your manager? Those are all inputs to work. And none of that should be how we measure Productivity. Productivity should only be measured based on the output of, it, the quality of, it. and what I'm doing with some companies now is making them go task by task by task, saying what are the KPIs for measuring productivity, and can you take out the bias of seeing someone more frequently and and judging them to be more productive? That's a that's a false confound, and that is not how companies should be measuring productivity. And the minute you do that, you do not penalize someone for doing excellent work, but attending less number of meetings. Because we all have been in meetings which have led to nothing. And we know for a fact, based on research for decades, that in meetings, introverts don't say much. It's the boss and the extroverts who speak. So this, this whole transition to work from anywhere has led to now a synchronous communication, where we also have to read and write in addition to speaking and listening. It has led to many management practices, uh, which which should have been reimagined even before this 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 change has happened. So I see all these experiments going on, and I'll reiterate that the right tail of the distribution uh, will force companies be ahead of the phenomena and not behind. If you want to retain your best workers, you know, better get in line, make this hybrid experiment work, else you're going to lose some of your best employees.
0: I think one could argue, it's funny, you mentioned earlier about uh, startup in Silicon Valley was disadvantaged because they'd have to compete with uh, people who had the option of working at Facebook or Google. And when we now see the tens of thousands of layoffs that thus far are only taking place in the technology sector, it would appear that there is an inverse to your argument, I'd consider too, that you're suggesting that the right-end distribution is going to force companies to get in line. But I might argue that you could say that there will be um, a, such a delta between the productivity and an output, which I'm in 100% agreement with you, we should be measuring productivity on output and actual impact, not merely a metric that is self-reinforcing uh, around uh, presence, that it may very well um, expose people out of a job, that those who are not present, that are not producing, uh, that they are the ones most quickly to be let go. So in other words, we don't know that the right side distribution is going to pull everybody else. It's entirely possible that the um, more gifted, talented, and productive people will prove to be the ones who are present and functioning within a traditional accountability structure. I, I The one thing that you, you said I wanted to allude to was about the downtown location. I think this is a fascinating argument for my belief in the spontaneous order in a market economy, um, that we still have very large, robust businesses in downtowns in our big cities. And I have a presence in New York and I absolutely love Manhattan. And whenever I'm in Grand Rapids visiting Acton, they have a a, a downtown area where Acton's own offices are. But the vast majority of office growth for a generation in our country has not been in city downtowns. On its own, years and years before COVID, there's been huge suburban development of offices that scratched a lot of the itches of things you're alluding to. People that wanted to be closer to certain schools and daycares, parks, more family friendly. So there's preferences that both laborers and entrepreneurs and managers are going to have. And I don't want to speak to the subjective preferences of what would exist in a workforce, but it strikes me as very clear that market conditions were spontaneously responding to these things well before covid and and that the suburban growth of offices as opposed to uh, um, this picture we paint of every office being something someone goes to downtown is itself an idea where people were able to preserve culture collaboration brand of a company and yet still maintain some of the various optionalities that i think my colleague is is looking for. Yes, yeah, so I can jump in. And, and you know, I
2: totally agree with it, David. So I know we're debating, but it's okay to also yeah. agree where so I think this phenomenon was playing out well before COVID. Uh, and uh, a point in a, a case is like, I, I, I studied a company called EXP, which was founded right after the 2008 financial crisis. And it's a real estate company. And I've written about it. It's on my website. And they were founded as an all remote company. They didn't have any offices. So that's the irony. It's a real estate company without its own real estate. And the reason it was founded like that was they didn't have cash. And what the founder realized was because they, they went the all remote way and they used to uh, primarily use a virtual uh, a, a communication tool uh, called Verbella, which is a virtual campus. Uh, they The founder retained more equity at IPO because they had a a lower fixed cost uh, and they had a a thinner balance sheet. And and that turned out really well for the founder. And the same argument has propelled a whole generation of all remote startups. And I've, I've studied many of them. So the first thing I'll say is that, you know, it's very important to study what the large companies of today, the Goldman Sachs and the Googles are doing, but the future Goldman Sachs and the future Googles are being founded in an all remote fashion for many reasons, for hiring, for greater access to talent, but also because the founder retains more equity. That's a very, very strong incentive for that organizational form. Uh, the other thing I'll say about the downtown and the point I agree with with David, that the way we meet has to spread out. Uh, and there is a very strong case to be made that, you know, If work from anywhere sustains, which I I passionately believe it will, it'll be good for the smaller cities and the communities in the middle of our country. So I've studied Tulsa remote uh, now for several years. Uh, I was studying them even before the pandemic. And this is a prototypical community in the middle of the country, which has had it very hard retaining young people. So people grow up, they move to Oklahoma City or they move to California or they move to Detroit, they move to New York. Uh, And if you are then working in one of the sectors in those downtowns as a restaurant worker, you are not making a great wage in these large cities. So your real income is actually quite little, but still there's nothing in Tulsa to keep you there. So the only way to break, and no employer is going to come there because there's no talent, it's a chicken and egg. But the remote worker comes to a community like Tulsa with his or her job. They don't need an employer. And so far, Tulsa has moved more than 1,300 remote workers to the community. Now, that can have some concerns, too, about housing and cost of living, but they're managing it really well. And I think it's a model for other communities to say, can we now embrace work from anywhere And re-energize our communities by attracting new talent. And there's a very simple logic why people would want to move to a Tulsa. Housing is one-fifth that in LA or New York. So if I'm raising a young family, I can now afford a three-bedroom house with a yard in Tulsa compared to a studio apartment in New York. So I think work from anywhere can be great for our communities if it's managed well. And the Tulsa example is something I think small town mayors all over the country should study.
0: But I, I think that it's fair to point out that we could have had this talk 10 years ago and used 25 different cities as an example, that the way you're using Tulsa now. And every one of them has now categorically changed in the way that you and I both would aspire for Tulsa to go through and done it with office. Um, that we were not talking about Denver or Nashville or Indianapolis or Asheville, North Carolina, Salt Lake City, Austin, Texas started more than 10 years ago. But there are a lot of cities that were also the way you described Tulsa now 10 and 15 years ago, and that they developed by becoming more attractive places to live, more robust infrastructure. There was a more diversification of industry access to college level talent and uh, on their own, totally separate from a remote work phenomena became attractive places to play again, because of that spontaneous growth of of the market. I I agree with you. I would like to see greater opportunity in a town like Tulsa. I think there's a lot of wonderful small and mid-sized towns with great talent pool in our country but what i believe that with certain industries they benefit by being able to office up that talent together and that's exactly what what we're doing in my own company and just as much as i don't want to use google and 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 uh, goldman sachs as our examples and i think a total startup with one guy in his bedroom that guy should be at home you know as a cost saving he's grinding getting up and running as a business But even the small business environment that that, uh, you and I are looking at as a sort of model into the future, um, I will point out, first of all, it's anecdotal, but I think it's an important anecdote to me. 52 employees, we were mandatory, no option, five days a week, no hybrid from the beginning, not 2022, not 2021. Immediately, when the worst of the most draconian state lockdowns ended, we mandated everyone be back. And we have never had an easier time recruiting, never seen more people say we want to go back to work. We had people leaving management positions at banks to join us because they were so tired of not being around their coworkers and liked that we were back in in place. So I don't dispute at all, and I know it's true of a younger demographic, and especially in the technology industry where I can tell you have a lot of experience and study, but I would just suggest that it's not monolithic, that there are different preferences and different capacities depending on the type of industry we're referring to. And I believe that the idea of needing to totally rethink what has been such a robust contributor to American entrepreneurial success in office I think is going to prove to be one of those things like Google glasses that it sounds much more interesting when we're talking about it and writing about it. And in the end, it just doesn't deliver the promises. Um, it, it doesn't become this sort of shiny object in our real lives that people expected.
1: In the time we have left, uh, there's a couple of things that I want to address. I want to start with uh, some data from Pew Research Center that I want uh, both you, uh, David and Raj, to address the uh, the other side of, if it were. Um, so I'll, I'll give you this info here. So uh, the question of working from home has made it a question of work-life balance. Uh, working from home, 64% say it has made it easier to balance work and personal life. Uh, 16% say it has made it harder. Um, on uh, the other side, working from home has made them feel uh, 60% say less connected to co-workers, 4% say more connected to co-workers. So, uh, uh, Raj, let's start with you. How would you encourage businesses who are confronting that second data point there, uh, that 60% say that remote work has made them feel less connected to co-workers? What are some real clear, tangible things you would encourage businesses to embrace, uh, to address that, to make people who are working remotely feel more connected?
2: Yeah, the first thing I'll say is that if you're a listener, if, you're, if you are a business owner, a senior leader in your company, the paradigm shift needs to happen in the following way. I don't like working from home. I, I really work from home, but I love work from anywhere. True flexibility is when you let the teams choose what's right for them. So work from anywhere it could be working from a co-working space. It could be working from a satellite office. It could also be working from home if you are the work from home type. But you you need to balance flexibility with connections. And there's a great example I'll give for a a company called TCS. They have 500,000 workers worldwide, 500,000. And like David's company, they were five days in the office prior to the pandemic. Now they have decided to be 25% in person. But here's the, be- the beautiful part of the model. It's not TCS telling people what 25% is. It's neither individuals choosing what to do because if I go on a Monday and if my, my colleague or my team member comes on a Thursday, I never get to see that person. So in the TCS model, the unit of analysis is the team. The team gets together at the, at the beginning of the financial year and decides how many times to meet and where to meet. So if they decide to meet every week, so be it. And then you can only live thus far from the office. If they decide to meet once a month, but for a whole week, then you can now live in Connecticut and travel to New York once a month. If they decide to meet once a quarter for three weeks together, then now you can live much farther away and travel and hang out for three weeks, just like you know, I used to go to and meet my parents in India once a once a year. So I think the 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 consequence of this is there'll be hundreds of hybrid models within the company, and they'll all learn from the mistakes of each other and the and the successes of each other. So the first thing I'll tell I'll, I'll tell your listeners is, you know, hybrid is good. Work from anywhere is good. Once again, because it's a talent strategy. It's a strategy to acquire and retain the right tail of the distribution, women, minority workers, people with disabilities. No one has figured out the right hybrid model. But there are thousands of experiments going on all over the world. And as a company leader, you should be head of the phenomena and allow your teams to experiment and then let those best practices bubble up, bottom up. I think that's that would be my sort of you know, two key messages uh, to your listeners.
1: David, for people who uh, like you are embracing the philosophy that uh, you're espousing, um, when you look at this answer, working from home, 64% say it's made it easier for them to achieve a work-life balance. Uh, how can companies embracing or who want to embrace your philosophy help workers achieve that work-life balance with them being back in the office uh, on a more pre-COVID schedule?
0: I think part of the problem, Eric, is I don't know what a work-life balance means. I don't know how it's being defined. I don't know that it is measurable. I don't know that the people answering the poll can measure it. But I can say what I know about human nature. And I think some people, some might define work-life balance as being able to stop working whenever they want to go do something else they want, something recreational, go to more kids' soccer practices, things like that. A lot of that sounds lovely to me. A lot of it sounds incredibly counterproductive to the mission of a business. And so while all of us would have to say that we support the idea of greater work-life balance, lacking better specificity, I'm not totally sure that the way some employees may define work-life balance is what's best optimally for an organization. There had also been, by the way, counter studies suggesting that people felt the work-life balance was heavily distorted when they lost geographical separation between where they made spreadsheets and checked emails and did reports and whatnot versus um, where they had um, a date and dinner with their spouse and home movie night and so forth. And so I can see both sides to it in practice. But in theory, I would suggest that it's worth leaning into uh, what Nassim Taleb refers to as the Lindy effect. This office notion stood the test of time. It worked through a lot of different evolutions in culture and a lot of technological advancements. And yet there still became a really prized benefit in the physical separation. As far as the work from anywhere context, which I appreciate what he is saying, but again, I think that Starbucks and the train station and vacationing around the world in different spots, it's wonderful that modern technology is giving people the ability to still do something. But I think there's a real danger we fall into that could be a bit elitist of uh, believing that all businesses are on a cutting edge of a particular technological objective where there are many businesses that are still deal businesses. They're doing a deal. They're working with people. And this is where I noticed a big company like Blackstone in New York City, a lot of their back office accounting operations, there were plenty of functions that were not needed in the office during the height of the COVID moment and they got by. But even their deal teams that are involved in m and interviewing other businesses, trying to get to know people. There's a reason that when you're going to buy someone else's company, you take them out to dinner. You can't do a Zoom call and decide if your culture is going to be compatible. There's that relational human element. And I, and I would humbly suggest that some of the overconfidence, the technology can solve all these things in a post office environment are leaning uh, heavily into technology at the expense of what we know about human um, dynamics, human interaction and community. And I, I would be very cautious about that.
1: In the couple minutes that we have left, I'd like each of you to take about one minute. And for the people who are listening to this, who are uh, business people, business leaders, people who could be in positions to make decisions about uh, hiring talent, about what uh, the culture of their company is going to look like and how it is going to embrace or, or not embrace uh, a, a hybrid or a work from anywhere philosophy. Take about a minute and best summarize the, the argument for your perspective on this. Uh, Raj, we'll start with you.
2: Sure, thank you. So thanks for having me again. What I'll say in summary is that we can frame any situation or any moment in time as an opportunity or as a threat. I would request business leaders to frame this moment in time as an opportunity. This is a unique opportunity for us to access talent that lives far away from us, to make talent more diversified to the ranks of the organization. And what it needs is good hybrid practices. There'll be good hybrid, there'll be terrible hybrid. And we are still in the process of building the plane as we are flying So I would urge you to be ahead of the phenomena, embrace this new world because your best workers will demand it. And if you don't offer this flexibility, they'll be poached by competitors. And how we make it work, we're going to take years to figure this out. And join the party rather than being a laggard, which loses a lot of talent and then is forced to adapt.
0: I'm very grateful that that hasn't been my experience, that we've grown our business with record years over the last several years while our competitors have been working from home. And so I hope that uh, his prediction continues to be something different for our own experience. But, of course, that's anecdotal. And I think I'm trying to talk more philosophically. And I have a great deal of respect for the research he's done and the position he's articulately presented today But um, I would start with the concern and caution for business owners with this heavy favoritism towards letting your employees pick, let them decide what is best for them. You have people in your organization that you can empower to make certain decisions and people that cannot. We don't let employees pick their um, own salary. We don't let employees pick every nook and cranny of what the uh, lunch plan will be and what the dinner cafeteria will offer. There are limitations around the business that must serve the greater good of the organization. And I think there's too much focus on what's best for the talent in this discussion and not nearly enough focus on what's best for the customers. The customers benefit from a strong company culture, a collaboration amongst different departments that is not relying on a proactive Zoom call but benefits from organic relational opportunity. you build a brand that way and you build it through shared experiences. You can still have shared experiences in a hybrid or remote model, but they're limited. You're cutting yourself off from one of the greatest things that creates company growth over time. Um, I think that those uh, main categories I provided about mentorship, brand, culture, and then finally that accountability. I know there are people on the right tail. Um, who are abundantly accountable and, and self-sufficient to uh, produce wherever they are. But we are dealing with a very large labor force in America and a lot of people that become better versions of themselves when they work in an accountability structure like an office. And I think that those uh, principles have stood the test of time. And, and I truly believe that the predictions that everyone's going the other way are in fact going to prove very much the opposite, that we're going to look back on this period of time, that we're grateful we learned that we can function, but we really reinforced how optimally we can perform and work from office environment.
1: Thank you very much both for your time and for sharing your uh, wisdom and perspective on this very important issue. Uh, Dr. Raj Chowdhury, a Lummi Family Associate Professor at the Harvard Business School and David L. Bonson the Founder, Managing Partner, and Chief Investment Officer of the Bonson Group. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you. Thank you. As always, thank you for listening. Our team loves putting this podcast together for you. It's encouraging to hear from our listeners. Feedback is incredibly important to us because it lets us know what you'd like to hear more of, including the kinds of topics you're interested in most. If you have comments, feedback, or ideas for a show topic or interesting guest, you can email our team at producer at acton.org. Until next week, for Acton Line, I'm Eric Cohn.